Chapter Fourteen of Murder at Bridge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Murder at Bridge by Anne Austen. Chapter Fourteen. With the thrill of his discovery singing blithely along his nerves, Bonnie Dundee, special investigator for the district attorney, had at first hugged the intention of following the new trail alone. Hadn't Captain Strawn taunted him not too good-naturedly about his ability to get along without the younger man's help? But he was glad, both selfishly and unselfishly, when, half an hour later, he threw open the front door of dead Nita's house to the chief of the homicide squad, Carraway the fingerprint expert, and the two plainclothesmen who had searched the top floor for the missing weapon, or the murderer himself, soon after the murder had been committed. For if Strawn needed his help, Dundee needed the expert machinery which Strawn captained. And it was good to feel the grip of gratitude in the old chief's hand-clasp and to see the almost shy twinkle of apology in his hard old grey eyes. Dundee led the way up the front stairs to the upper floor, glad to hear the heavy tread of official feet behind him. "'I guess you've got it all doped out who the Selim woman's gentleman friend was,' Strawn commented genially as he followed Dundee into the pleasant big bedroom. "'I believe I have, but I need Carraway to prove my hunch,' Dundee acknowledged. Eagerly, swiftly, he displayed his first tangible finds. The open windows, the drapes smelling of cigarette smoke, the evening paper of the day before, the faint odor and greasiness of Barber's pomade upon the pillowcase of the bed, which had clearly been slept in since the linen was changed. "'Now, Collins, Harmon,' Dundee whirled upon the two silent plainsclothesmen. I want to know what you saw in these rooms when you searched them early this evening, that you don't see now. You looked into the closets and drawers, of course. Yes, sir, Collins answered, and they was all empty, Dundee. Me and Harmon didn't waste time smelling pillowcases, and I admit we didn't pay no attention to that there newspaper. Empty, Dundee echoed. Are you sure? You too, Harmon? What are you driving at, boy? Captain Strawn asked indulgently. Briefly, with disappointment flattening his voice, Dundee told of his finding the kitchen door ajar, after he had made sure it was locked on his first rounds of the house. "'I worked it out this way,' he continued, despite Strawn's grin. "'Dexter Sprague was Nita's lover, as I had thought all along. He was in the habit of spending the night here whenever Nita would give him an evening of her company. He was here last night, according to the maid, Lydia Carr. Nita sent her into Hamilton to a picture show. Nita and Sprague quarreled last night but I am positive he spent the night here anyway. Certainly there was no actual rupture, since Sprague worded his note to her as he did. I have another strong reason for thinking his belongings were here, at least until noon today, but that can wait for a moment. Furthermore, I am positive that Sprague descended by the back stairs and went around the house to join the cocktail party, which was to follow the Hen Bridge party. How do you make that out, Bonnie? Strawn asked, his grin wiped away. "'Try to remember how Sprague looked when you first got here,' Dundee suggested. "'I saw him twenty minutes after you did, but he was wearing an immaculate stiff collar, and there were still traces of talcum powder over a close shave. And you will remember that he said he had made a half-hour's trip by bus, and had walked the quarter of a mile from the bus stop on Sheridan Road to this house. It was a mighty hot afternoon, Chief.' "'Not conclusive,' Strawn growled. "'Then here's another straw to add to the weight of my conclusion.' Dundee went on, unshaken. You remember that Janet Raymond was on the front porch, watching for Sprague, 
while the death hand of bridge was being played? Oh, she tried to protect him. Wait, I'll read you the notes I made when I was questioning her. I looked them up while I was waiting for you. Here. I said to Miss Raymond, You observed Mr. Sprague toiling down the ruddy road, hot and weary, but romantic in the sunset? And she answered, stammering, I... I wasn't looking that way. And I knew she was lying, knew that she had been taken completely by surprise when Sprague suddenly appeared from the rear of the house. What's more, she betrayed herself and him by admitting that she was surprised. Then, because the girl is undoubtedly in love with Sprague, and was mortally afraid he had killed Nita Selim, she tried frantically to throw suspicion on Lydia Carr, by telling how Lydia had failed to answer Mrs. Dunlap's first ring. "'Good Lord! Wait a minute! I want to think!' He interrupted himself to exclaim. After a full minute, while he stood very still, with his fingers pressed against his closed eyes, Dundee began slowly. "'I believe that's it. Listen, boys!' He turned to the two plainclothesmen, urgent pleading in his voice. "'Would you both take your oath that there was no bag, say a small Gladstone overnight bag, anywhere in these rooms when you search them this evening?' The two detectives glanced at each other, their faces reddening. It was Harmon, the older of the pair, who swallowed hard before answering. "'We'd been told to look for a man hiding, and for a gun.' Then he squared his shoulders as if to receive the blame like a man. "'Yes, sir.' There was a small black grip on the closet shelf. I went through it myself, but there wasn't no gun in it, just a pair of pajamas and a couple of shirts, one of them dirty, some socks and collars, and a shaving kit. Dundee drew a deep breath and clapped the red-faced detective on the back in high humor. There simply had to be a bag somewhere, he laughed. This is the way of it, Strawn. Nita and Sprague rowed last night. Sprague tried to make it up, but Nita must have been through with him, probably told him last night to clear his things out and not come back. She thought he had done so. Probably he did leave before she got up. At any rate, she was so sure he was gone, and his things with him, that she and Lydia went to town this morning, and left Ralph Hammond here to go through the place as freely as he liked, making his estimates on the job of finishing up the other half of this floor, and Ralph... But let that wait for a moment. Got any real proof that it was Sprague who stayed here and not the Hammond boy? Strawn interrupted shrewdly. "'I'm coming to the proof,' Dundee assured him. "'Or rather, the rest of the proof that I haven't already given you. "'You're damned hard to convince, Chief. "'But let me go on with my theory, which I think covers the facts. "'At luncheon, when Nita received that note from Sprague, "'I imagine she got a hunch that he hadn't taken her seriously, "'that he had not removed his belongings. "'You remember Penny Crane said Nita had Lydia follow her into her bedroom "'as soon as Nita got home from the luncheon? "'Well, it's my hunch.' that Nita asked Lydia if Sprague's things were gone when she cleaned these rooms this morning, and that Lydia said no. Nita then probably told Lydia to pack them herself, and I feel positive that Lydia did so, for she must have felt safe when she protested to me that Sprague was not Nita's lover. I also feel sure that Sprague arrived at least half an hour before he said he did, by some back path across the meadow, that he came up to these rooms that he considered his, found his things packed, went about shaving and changing his shirt and collar regardless. I also feel sure that Lydia followed him upstairs to explain and impress upon him that Nita had meant what she said, and it is quite likely that she was not through picking up after him when he descended by the back stairs and surprised Janet Raymond on the front porch. That accounts, of course, for Lydia's not hearing the kitchen bell the first time Mrs. Dunlap rang. Um, Strong grunted. What about the proofs you're holding back? 
"'Come along, chief. You too, Carraway,' Dundee answered, and led the way into the bathroom. I felt sure these rooms would yield a very definite clue, even though Sprague, when he sneaked back tonight to get his telltale bag, apparently made every effort to wipe his fingerprints off the furniture and bathroom fixtures. "'Now, Carraway, if you'll step upon this little stool and look along the top of this medicine cabinet, you'll find what I found and didn't touch.' The fingerprint expert did as he was told. When he stepped down, he was holding, between the very tips of his fingers, a safety razor blade. "'No dust on it, you see,' Dundee pointed out. "'Now, if you don't find Dexter Sprague's fingerprints on it, my whole theory topples.' "'How am I going to know whose fingerprints they are till we get hold of Sprague?' Carraway asked reasonably. "'We don't need him, for that purpose at least,' Dundee assured him. "'Downstairs in the living room, on a little table in the southeast corner of the room, you'll find a red glass ashtray which no one but Dexter Sprague used all evening.' It was clean and empty when I saw him use it first. I think you'll find on it all the prints you need. Do you think Sprague killed her because she was through with him? Strawn asked. Dundee shook his head. Since I don't like Dexter Sprague a little bit, Chief, I'd like to think so. But... End of chapter 14